0: Hi I'm Steve Scott and welcome to Knowing him Well in today's podcast is a continuation of yesterday's podcast. Uh, this is number 11. And uh, we are looking at faith. What is faith? And you think you know the answer until you start to study it. And when you start to study it, you find out there are quite a few answers to that question. Uh, We get the word faith from the word pasteo or pasteur, depending on the tense, the verb, the adjective, the noun. Um, And we get the words faith and belief from that root word in the Greek. And what it means, just to review, it means to rest or rely upon. Uh, right now, Sean and I are both sitting in different chairs, and we're resting the entire weight of our bodies on these chairs. Uh, we didn't even have to think about it. The chairs have proved themselves over and over again to be capable of of supporting our weight. So I've actually been in a situation in a in an airplane control tower, um, where somebody sat down on a chair and the chair collapsed. The guy weighed 350 pounds and he was just too big for the chair. Um, uh, but I'm never had a chair collapse on me, so I don't tend to worry about it, but it's easy to express faith in that. It's easy to express faith, uh, Most of the time, in the people that are driving me around or uh, an Uber driver, you know, I get in the car. I've never met him, but I'm expressing faith that he's going to get me from point A to point B uh, efficiently, effectively, economically, and safely. And um, that's faith. Now, uh, there's, when it comes to faith in the Lord, there, we, can divide it into two areas, a general faith and a specific faith. The disciples had a general faith in Christ. They were willing to leave everything they had, their businesses, their families. Uh, They left it all, um, not thinking that it would be necessarily permanent, but they left for three and a half years to follow Christ. That took faith. That's more faith than most of us would have if somebody that was a stranger stepped up to us and said, follow me, it took a lot of faith for them to uh, leave their livelihoods to follow Jesus Christ. That's a general faith. However, we see the disciples throughout the three and a half years that uh, they were with Christ physically before he ascended into heaven, we see them fail the test over and over and over again when it comes to specific faith. We see Peter pass that test when uh, Jesus is walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, uh, give me a command, command me to come to you and I will come. And actually he said, yeah, I think that's pretty much how it said it. So Jesus gave that one word command and Peter exercised faith. He stepped out of the boat and on to the command of Christ, knowing that that Christ would not command him to do something that he wouldn't supply him the grace and the power to do it. Um, He needed a specific word, a specific command from Christ. So that's specific faith. And when Christ, on the other hand, commanded his uh, disciples to forgive each other and forgive other people, seven times in a day, none of them Got too excited about it. In fact, their response was, "Lord, increase our faith." They didn't think they had the faith to perform that kind of a miracle because they were very argumentative. They were jealous of each other from time to time, envious of one another, and uh, pretty critical of one another. Uh, they were competitive. You know, that's kind of the nature of a man, and obviously some women, but men we compete and. Um, So Christ's forgiveness is something they knew none of them could forgive somebody seven times in a single day, uh, just because the person says, I repent, and yet that's what Jesus told them to do. Well, when they said that, he said, your problem isn't a lack of faith. Uh, Your problem is you have zero faith, no faith in this area, because even the tiniest amount of faith could move a tree from where it was rooted into the ocean if you had the faith in Christ and the faith in in his word to do that. And uh, he said, that just takes a tiny amount. You don't even have that much. Basically, it does require faith to obey the person that asks you to obey something, but it doesn't take a lot. And they didn't have that when it came to obedience with Christ. Now, we're gonna, so... So faith and obedience go hand in hand. Um, but we're gonna look a little deeper at faith. Before we do that, I wanna go back in time. Uh, this story's in John chapter six, and I'll just refresh the story real quick. He, um, he had just uh, had a crowd of over 5,000 people, and he had fed them with... Um, Two fish and five little barley loaves, and it was a miracle. Everybody that was in that crowd knew that it was a miracle. It said they were astonished by it. They were amazed by it. Uh, they said this man has to be a prophet to do something like this, because this just isn't normal. So, um, and yet, uh, the next very next day, they Jesus had gone over across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And a lot of these people from this crowd followed him and he has a dialogue with them. He said, you know, you have followed me not because um, you saw an amazing miracle, but because you were well-fed. He actually, the food evidently was so good that Jesus is saying they just wanted more food. They just wanted their appetites blessed and um, they were very self-centered and amazingly, Jesus said, you didn't come follow me over here because I performed a miracle. What you followed me over here is you, you ate the loaves and they t- tasted good. You want more. He just, Jesus said, don't work for food that disappears quickly, uh, but rather for food that results in eternal life. Now, when he said that, They didn't respond to his his statement saying, oh, wow, Lord, you mean there's food that'll give us eternal life? Give us that right now. We want what you're talking about. No, you know what they wanted? Jesus had performed a miracle in front of them and they wanted the ability to perform those same kinds of miracles and uh, not so they could help other people, honestly, but so they could help themselves. They were really into themselves. Can't judge them because you and I are into ourselves most of the time. And But listen to what they instantly said. They said, what must we do to perform the works of God? They had seen Jesus perform this amazing miracle. And now that he's confronting them, they say, what must we do to perform the works of God? In, in essence, like you do. And Jesus gives them an answer that kind of baffled them. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent, whom he has sent. And um, he said, that's the real work of God. Now, it doesn't sound like much of work. Gee, I believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Uh, Over one Point two billion people on this planet claim to believe in Jesus. So, what what kind of work of God is that? You just you just say I believe. You know, you pray the magic prayer. You you um, you know, you go to church. You pay a tithe or an offering, and you think, hey, we we all believe in God. Where's there a work of God? No. What Jesus is talking about is a faith or a belief that becomes a permanent part of who you are, Uh, that it is a faith that emanates or flows out of your heart. Now, Jesus had given a lesson on the heart before this. He said, out of the heart, everything good that comes out of us comes out of our heart, and everything that's bad that comes out of us comes out of our heart. Uh, And it's the bad things that come out of our heart that spoil us, In the wrong way, it's the good things that come out of our heart that bless people. And so Jesus isn't interested when he's talking about faith. He's not talking about an opinion. You know, we think of faith a lot of times more as an opinion. Oh, uh, it's kind of cloudy outside. I believe it's going to rain or I believe it's going to snow. And uh, that's not faith. That's an opinion. Uh, Yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's an opinion. I believe he's the son of God, the Messiah of Israel. That's an opinion. That's not belief from the heart. How do we know the difference? Belief from the heart is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, our nature is so self-centered, it cannot produce the kind of faith that we need to have produced. It's not natural to our heart. That's the bad news. The good news is the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have is a natural fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's nature to do that which is right. And we're told in Hebrews that it's by faith that we please God. That when I put my faith in Christ. When I believe what he says to the point of acting on it, that pleases Jesus. It also pleases the Father. And of course, it pleases the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is telling us here to have that kind of belief, I have to have a work of God take place in me. What's that work? Well, I believe that work Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. Uh, This old man comes to him in the middle of the night. He's a religious leader. He doesn't want to be seen with Christ because that would be um, suspect by the people that he hangs around with. So he sneaks up to see him at night. He comes and he says, "Uh, Rabbi, we know you have come from God for no one can do these things except God be with him. So he recognized there was something special about Christ. Now he's beating around the bush. He's not really saying why he's there. Nicodemus is there in John chapter three for one reason. He's an old man. And sooner or later, all of us old men, me included, know we're gonna die. I'm almost 74 right now. And um, no Scott in my family, no male, going back to pre-Columbus in my direct line has lived past the age of 79. I might be the first to break that barrier, but I may not. Um, but, uh, like Nicodemus, you know, we think about death. I've had many of my dear friends have passed away. And, uh, so you think about these things the man who led me to Christ and nurtured me in Christ for 10 years from 1964 to 19, actually more than 10 till 1976. I just went to his memorial service a few weeks ago. So we think about this. Well, Nicodemus was thinking about death. And here he is with someone that has to at least be a prophet because he's working miracles. He had turned gallons and gallons of water into wine just just, uh, a day or two before. And it got out that he had done this. He was already starting to heal people probably. So he says, we know you have come from God for no one can do these things except God be with him. Jesus answered him and said, Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that sounds like it came out of the blue, but it didn't shock Nicodemus that he was addressing eternal life because that's the very thing, excuse me, because that's the very reason He had come to Jesus, and Jesus somehow perceived that. And uh, Nicodemus didn't say, oh, well, why are we shifting the thought to eternal life? No, Jesus knew his heart, and he goes right to the heart of the issue. Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said unto him, Lord, how can a man be born again? When he is old, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Jesus said, no, that which is born of of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Uh, He said, you must be born of water and the spirit. Now, people say, well, what is the water? Well, if the reality is... um, Jesus didn't clarify it. A lot of people think it's baptism. Uh, I believe Jesus is talking about two births throughout the context of this passage. If he was talking about a third birth, well then he would say so. And uh, when he says, uh, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. I can't remember. I think it's kingdom of heaven. I'm doing this from memory, but, uh, the water is a was a an expression of a physical birth any woman knows and Hebrew women were no different that before the baby comes out the water breaks it always precedes birth there is no birth physically without the breaking of the water and um, so uh, he says uh, that which is, Uh, you must be born of water and the spirit. Then he goes on to say, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So once again, one, two, one, two, one, two. He's talking about two births. Uh, Birth of the water, birth of the spirit. Birth of the flesh, birth of the spirit. Marvel not that I say you must be born again. Okay, now when God gives us that spiritual birth. And Nicodemus didn't understand this. In fact, he said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus said, you're a teacher of the Jews. You're a religious leader and teacher, and you can't understand what I'm saying to you. And he uh, he said, the wind blows and we hear it Uh, but we don't know where it came from and we don't know where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. When the spirit, God's spirit gives birth to a spirit within us, everything changes. Um, It's a spiritual birth that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter two, when he tells us we were all dead in sin. Any dead people to come back to life, you have to have another birth. And uh, we were dead in sin, Ephesians 2 tells us, having no hope, but God being rich in mercy has quickened us, has made us alive in Christ. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives us this spiritual birth. That is a work of God. And the evidence of that work is the ability, the supernatural ability to believe in Christ and to believe what Jesus said to the point of doing what he said. So if, if doing what Jesus says matters to you and you find yourself saying, gee, I wonder what Jesus would have me do, and then all of a sudden you think of a, of a statement of Christ and you you do what that statement says, I've got great news for you. That is faith in Christ, and that faith is being produced by the Holy Spirit, and that is evidence that you have been born of the Spirit. Pretty good news, huh? Okay, so this is the work of God, that you believe in him who God has sent. And um, Jesus tells us over and over again, he asks us to believe him, believe in him, and believe what he says. Uh, The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now the King James said word of God, but if you look it up in the Greek, the word is Christos, which is the word Christ. So think about this now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes, not hearing about Jesus, but hearing the words of Jesus. So you want more faith. Obviously, you wouldn't be listening to this. You want a faith that can please God. Since it's impossible to please God without faith, you want, like me, you want a faith that will please God. And um, the uh, that faith, Paul tells us, and Jesus tells us similar things, comes as we hear the words of Christ. So let's go back to Peter in the boat. He needed that command. He wasn't just gonna jump out on the water. He wanted to hear Christ say, come. And when he heard it, he stepped out of the boat, stepped on to the command of Christ, which happened to be between him and the water. And he became the only man in history other than Jesus ever to walk on water because he obeyed the command that Christ gave him. He wanted that command. Do you know that Christ has given us over 150 commands that we see in the four gospels? 153 is what I've counted, and I've probably missed five or 10. He gives us over 80 promises, and those promises usually come with a condition. You do this, and I'll do that. You do this, and the Father will do that. You do this, and the Holy Spirit will do that. Those are conditional promises. We meet the condition. That's exactly the same as obeying a command, and then we get the blessing that it that, that condition proceeds. For example, look at this. We looked at it a, a, a few podcasts ago. If you abide... That means continually dwell within my word, my words. If you live within my words, there's the condition and the implied command. He's implying that he wants you to live in his words. Listen to the promises. You will be my true disciple, my disciple indeed in actuality and practicality, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, who is the truth? See, the truth isn't a what, the truth is a who. Jesus in John fourteen six said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the truth. And here he's saying, if you come to know him intimately, he will cut those cufflinks, that, uh, or handcuffs, rather, that bind your hands, you know, you're we're bound up by sin, Jesus later tells us in this passage, and sin is, we're a slave to it. It takes us wherever it wants to go. We, we don't even have the will to stand against it until Christ cuts those handcuffs, cuts the chain. Then we're free. Once we're free, we're free to follow sin or we're free to follow Christ, But we're free from the mastery of sin. For people who say, man, I just have this sin and I can't beat it, you know? No matter what I do, I I just find myself doing the same old thing. Guess what? The key is abiding in Jesus' words. Most people today, I'm still waiting. I, I ask people this all the time. How much time have you spent in Jesus' words this week? And there's only a few people that I ask that question to who have a good answer. Uh, The answer isn't, um, oh, I I spent 10 minutes a day in the Bible. No, I didn't ask how much time were you in the Bible. Man, I studied the Bible all week. I probably put in 10 hours of Bible study. That's not what I'm asking. How much time were you in the words of Jesus Christ that primarily are found in the four gospels? Why do I insist on that? Because those are the words that Jesus made, the 21 promises about that we looked at. Amazing promises. And one of them here, discipleship, knowing the truth, and being set free from the mastery of sin. Three amazing promises. Okay? Now, we have our general faith, And you and I are probably in the same boat. We do have a general faith in Christ, just like the disciples had. But now when it comes to doing the works of God, listen to what Jesus said. Truly, John 14, 12, truly, truly, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works shall he do because I go unto my Father. Jesus is saying if you want to do the things I do, if you want to be the person I am, if you want to have the same attitudes that I have, the same level of permanent joy, what's the key? He who believes in me. How do I believe in Christ? Not with an opinion but an actual faith that he calls for? The answer is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I begin to abide in Jesus' words, and when the Holy Spirit whispers those words into my mind anytime I'm facing a choice, I have the choice to step out on faith and obey Christ or refuse faith and instead do something other than obeying obeying his words. And I have people ask me all the time, well, how do I know what he wants me to do? Start abiding in his words. There isn't a single issue in life that you will ever be confronted by that Jesus hasn't dealt with. He's dealt with your addictions, He's dealt with my addictions. He has dealt with every issue you and I have faced. I have a ministry that is an unintentional ministry. It's with people who have lost children. And God keeps bringing these people, setting them down right in front of me. It's amazing what happens. And because I know how Christ has dealt with the level of grief they are dealing with, I have an answer. I have a solution. I actually have steps of faith they can take to get rid of, not get rid of grief altogether, but get rid of its paralyzing effect. When you lose a child, you are paralyzed by grief. It is terrible what it does to you. Uh, For most people, it makes it impossible for them to enjoy fellowship with God that fellowship is severely cut. It's not impossible, because I've seen lots of people do it, but you've gotta know how to handle it. One of the things we deal with in the Joseph Principles, which comes out August 16th, um, is there is an entire chapter on grief and how you can put grief in its proper place. Grief has a real glorious purpose in our life, but it was never intended to be our master. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He will love the one and hate the other. Guess what? God wants to be the master of your life, but you can't make him the master of your life with one once and for all lifetime decision. You have to make that decision every day, uh, dozens of times a day when you have to decide between A and B, Um, and A is what Jesus said in obedience to that and taking a step of faith, and B is doing your own thing, regardless of what Jesus said. So that choice is made many times a day, and making God the master of our life happens each time we make a choice in the moment we're in. So uh, all that to say that uh, Jesus has said that his words are the key to cutting the chains of anything that paralyzes us, that anything that takes us captive is a slave, whether it be grief, whether it be lust, uh, whether it be selfishness or self-centeredness, all of those things he deals with. But to get to know him and to please him, we need to have faith To have faith, we need to know what Jesus said. Um, So, growing your faith. Growing your faith is a function. It's not complicated. Paul meant what he said. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Spend five minutes a day in the words of Jesus Christ, uh, casually reading, and you will have a casual five-minute-a-day faith. Uh, spend 10 minutes a day and have pencil and paper in hand and write down the specific things that he tells you as you're reading the statements and the words that he said. And guess what? Your faith is going to grow faster than a speeding bullet. It's not the 10 minutes. It's how you approach it. We approach the gospels and the words Jesus said with expectation And enthusiasm because we expect that his words, that are the most powerful words ever spoken. When I uh, wrote, when I organized um, Christ's 1900 statements into topics, clear back, I I worked on it from 2006 to 2008, and the book was going to come out. And my title for the book, was uh, in his own words, everything Jesus said about you, your life, and everything else. Well, my 14-year-old son, who is now 29, comes into the kitchen and said, Dad, I have a better title than your title. And I thought, oh, how am I gonna let him down? How am I gonna let him know that, no, my title's better than his, because I've spent my whole life in branding and advertising and marketing. And I said, okay, Ryan, what is it? And he said, "Um, these are the words of Jesus, right? I said, yes. Then the greatest words ever spoken. I said, Ryan, those words, that is so much better than my title. Later, I was with the president of Random House, my publisher, who was the largest publisher in the world. And uh, he, he was telling me, how excited he was about the book. And he said, quote, and I love the title. And I said, uh, well, that's not my title. I had a completely different title. Uh, He said, well, what was your title? I said, my title was In His Own Words. And he looks at me and and then I said, but my 14-year-old picked this title. He looks at me, this is a president of the largest publisher in the world. And he says, Your title's good, but this title is perfect. It really was. How else can you describe the words of Jesus Christ? Do you know that Hebrews 1, uh, I think it's in verse 3, tells us that the entire universe, your body, our cellular system, our solar system, everything works and is held together by what? By the power of of Jesus' words. That's how powerful they are. That's why it is such a miracle in John chapter one, where he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even the glory of the only begotten son of God. His words provide the very power by which the universe was created and the universe is held together. And you know what? We treat his words like toilet water. Uh, We don't look at them that much. We don't drink them in. We don't uh, eat them. We don't uh, honor them. We just flush them down the toilet. We don't pay attention. How sad. I can tell you that my life from the time I I first became a follower of Christ 58 years ago until now, even in the times where I turned my back on God for years at a time, turned my back on him, walked away from him, told him I didn't care about him anymore. Even then, even then, he loved me. Even then, the Holy Spirit would remind me of the words that Jesus said. You know, there's that ministry. Jesus identified 11 ministries of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna look at those one day soon. And one of those ministries was, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance whatsoever things I have said unto you. Do you know that even when I turn my back on Christ for five years, the Holy Spirit would still whisper the words of Jesus Christ into my mind? Why? What Number one is love. But what gave him that power? It was a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I had meditated for years in the words of Christ, and that resulted with his ministry of being able to bring Christ's words to mind in any given moment of my life. And that's the ministry that Christ wants the Holy Spirit to have with you. The ability to whisper. Jesus said, what you hear at night time, proclaim. What I tell you at night, proclaim in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, shout from the rooftops. God wants you to hear his whispers. He whispers the words of Jesus Christ. You need to meditate in his words. Let's all make a commitment that between now and the next podcast we're going to spend more time with pencil and paper in hand in the gospels writing down the words of Jesus Christ now there is a cliff notes the cliff notes is called the greatest words ever spoken and what i what it it is amazing at what it can do not because I had anything to do with it believe me it was was a labor of love. I couldn't do this if you put a gun to my head today. But all two, all 1,900 statements of Christ are organized into topics. So you can look up any subject you want, see everything Jesus said about that subject, and then meditate on it and watch what happens. You'll start hearing the whispers of Christ from that subject Uh, throughout your days and weeks that follow. So let's close with a word of prayer right now. Father, I just thank you for my listener, whoever he or she is. I pray that you would grow their faith. We thank you that it's not a mystery, that faith grows wherever the words of Jesus Christ are planted. So I pray that they will begin to plant your words, Lord Jesus, into their heart and mind through the power of your Holy Spirit that they would begin to pay more attention and spend more time in those precious Gospels uh, where we have recordings of the greatest words ever spoken. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that he didn't leave us ignorant or guessing, but he spoke the words that came from you. And we ask your blessing now, those words in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So there you have it. We'll see you next time.